It is a wonderful privilege for Monique and I and our family to be with you this morning. And uh, I met uh, Richard and Jackie almost 18 years ago. Um, we were in an antenatal class together with them, Monique and I. Um, Monique was pregnant with Rachel and Sarah, and Jackie was pregnant with Kiara. And that's the first time I met them. And then the competition started back then. And uh, Kiara beat us to the post. She got born before our twins, but then we had twins. And then they just overdid it, and they had seven, and we just tapped out at six. I said, I'm going to let you win that one, Richie. But um, we, we love the Mungavin family, Mike and Jenny, um, and your three kids, and all your hundreds of grandchildren. But we, we love Anthem Church as much. Uh, Monique and I often talk about this incredible community. For those of you who don't know, The Rock was actually planted out of what was then Cogs um, in the early 90s. And uh, we live in the, in the blessing of an incredible church that has pioneered, that has sown, that has given, that has prayed, that has bled, that has stood firm for close to, I don't know, 100 and something years. But in, in the time that I've been in, in the city, I've been in Durban for 30 years, and I've always heard about COGS, Anthem, and what God is doing in here is, is very inspirational for us. And uh, we don't come here, I definitely don't come here as a visitor or as um, John's grandfather. <laughs> I, I come here this morning as a friend who loves this church and the church very, very deeply. Uh, when Monique and I came across here 12 years ago from Glenridge to lead The Rock, um, we were so excited, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It took us about three months to realize we were in for the ride of our lives. Leading people is, is fun, but it's properly, eh? And you guys are amazing when you're amazing, <laughs> but not so much when you're not. And we learned very quickly that we had to partner with people in the city. And then it was Piet and uh, Rich and Jackie were down in um, Port Shepson. And when they came back, there was such an excitement in our hearts to do this with our friends, people that we love dearly and uh, want to see God's kingdom break out of the city. I just wanted to, where is Lee and Kelly? Can we reach our hands out to them? I just was quite overwhelmed when you were praying. Um, I know that you guys were originally from Durban and moved to Cape Town where most people rush before they head out. I said it's like going to the top of the Titanic, but God spoke to you to come back to Durban for whatever reason. And uh, can we reach our hands out to these two? And Father, I, I thank you. This morning, I, I experienced incredible worship here today. Incredible adoration for you, God. And, it, and I know it's the team, but I felt that there was something on the two of you that's bringing in the presence of the Holy Spirit here. And so, Father, I pray for strength and for courage. I thank you for Kelly's heart for our city, God. I want to prophesy good things over their lives. And through the light that they shine, many, many, Lord, many, many would come to faith and many, many would get strength to live in the city that you called us to, Lord God. I'm so aware that your Bible teaches that you know the exact time and place where we should live. And you did that so that we would call out to you, though you are not far away. And I pray for this family that you would be close, Lord God. I thank you for the gift of worship and leadership. I just feel like there's a gift of love over you too, that you just love deeply. And so I want to prophesy good things over them, God. That they would open up, just as they did this morning. I felt like they opened up a well for us to drink deeply of your presence. And so thank you for them, God, in Jesus' name. And... Uh, yeah, there's such a wonderful sense of the Lord here this morning, and these lights are very bright, eh, Richie? Jeez, sunglasses, yeah, bro. Jeez, I can't see faces. I mean, I'm now I'm blind because I'm 100 years old. But what I wanted to speak to this morning, let me get on with it before I get too much more distracted. Um, I've really been stirred over, of late um, around this kind of theme, topic. It's not a new one, and uh, if you've been around the church for more than 
say, 20 years, you would have read a book many years ago called Finishing Strong by a guy named Steve Farrar. And I've been quite stirred, and I'm only 50, by the way, John. I mean, a very early 50. But I, I realized, like, actually, the first half of your life, you, you kind of, what is my destiny? You know, what am I going to do? And I, I'll be honest, I thought I was going to be a mega church pastor. God dealt with me. I'm not. I thought I was going to be a good preacher. He couldn't see him. I'm not. But, but, but what I've realized at 50, it's not so much about what I'm going to do. It's not my destiny that's so important. It's not my legacy. It's what am I going to leave behind? It's what am I putting into our children? What am I putting into the churches that I get the great privilege? I don't take it for granted that I get to speak to you this morning about Jesus. What am I going to leave behind that's going to put something of substance and something of strength and something of fortitude and something of finishing in people? And it's not eloquence. It's not a whole lot. It's what you are, not what you say you are. And so I'm saying, God, help me to finish strong. And I realize that, you know, in my own life, there's so many areas that I feel like I'm still leaking. And I'm still not, I'm still not flourishing as much as I'd love to. I want to be this incredible worshiper of Jesus. I want to be this most dedicated husband. I want to be this incredible father. I want to be a great leader. I want to be a good friend. And I'm not always those things. So I'm not voting for perfection yet, but I'm saying, God, there's something in us that wants to reach. Something of us that wants to finish strong. And I, I realized, I said this to a mate of mine this week. I said, you know, I realize we all like sieves, leak. And what you need to do is you need to put Christ in the center. And he thought I said rice. <laughs> what do you mean rice? You need to put Christ in the center. Because actually, we want to finish strong. And the only way, and I agree with what, Paul, what John was saying around um, the, the, what did you say, the pattern. And I think that's amazing. But I think, can we put in there the person? The person of Jesus. In order to finish strong, in order to finish the race that God has called you and I to, we need to stay close to Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who holds us in every situation in our lives. Because actually, he has got a race marked out for us which he wants us to run. Cogs is, I mean, not Cogs, Anthem is running it. And it's inspirational. And, and you've got big dreams as a leadership and as a church. You've got massive dreams. And this morning, I want to say, you know what? It's so easy to start stuff. People are starting stuff all the time. I'm going to start something. It's exciting because when you start, there's, there's, there's excitement, there's euphoria. Ah, it's amazing. You dream of all the possibilities and how amazing it's going to be. But there's something about pushing through and finishing. Like finish the thing. God has called us to finish. You just have to take a, a cursory look over the, the city and the nation and the world, and people are starting stuff all the time, and they're not finishing. Whether it's marriage, whether it's family, whether it's children, whether it's whatever people have this desire to do, there's something in the heart of men that want to start. But actually, I'm saying this morning, God, help us finish, but finish strong. Finish with a, with a sense of when you cross the tape one day, you know, I, I, I have this morbid, I suppose, I don't know if it's morbid, I have this fascination, you're going to be shocked by this, of, of death. I really, I think about it a lot. I think about it a lot, and, and it's helped me in my studies as I've, I'm getting a degree in plagiarism and copying John Celia's. <laughs> I'm doing a master's degree, and, and, and John has been my saving grace. But one of the things I've read and understood was when the, the, the monks used to pray, they used to have the skull, and you've probably heard this because he's done his master's, that of the skull on, the, on, the, on their prayer kind of uh, table, you know, and I thought, like, what is wrong with these guys? Like, what is this? Halloween? But actually what it is, is actually they always held death before them. So if you have an understanding that you're a mortal, you're an unceasing spiritual being that is, that is created in Christ Jesus to live forever with an eternal destiny, but your time on earth is limited. There's a time on earth, and then it's done, and what you do on this earth, and I had the great privilege yesterday, myself and Joshua, my son watched Braveheart, 
first time for him, the hundredth time for me. And, and the amazing moment was that moment where, where, where Maximus says to the, the, his, his um, cavalry as they're about to run into the battle, he says, your life and your actions in life echo in eternity. And as I've got older, I'm writing my journal that I said, Lord, I've realized that my life work, what I'm giving my life to, and what you're giving your life to will only ever really be measured truly in heaven one day. The things that matter, that matters. The other stuff is it's great and it's amazing, but it's actually very temporary. But finishing strong for me is how do I hold the line? And I, and I said in marriage, you know, when you start, when you, I get the privilege of doing weddings all the time and I sit with the young couples and they're amazing and we, we sit and we talk about the day and they're so excited and the, the dress and the photographer and the cake and the, the dude just like, just wants to get to the honeymoon. But there's just this, this, all this stuff going on and, I'm, and they're so excited and I'm sitting there saying, you know what, this is amazing, your wedding day is going to be incredible because I'm a fairly funny guy, according to John, not a great preacher, but I'm okay, hopefully I'll be funny and I'll, and I'll make it sacred. But actually my, my prayer for you and my effort for you would be, let's have a great marriage. And the problem with that is Jesus teaches um, in Matthew, and I'm not even going to go to these notes, am I? About before you build a house, like, take, measure up the cost. Check how much it's going to cost you and make sure you finish. And so we enter into marriage, for example, and we think, okay, and it's all amazing, and it's all Hollywood, and it's, and it's incredible, and it's, it's in the Garden of Eden. God's marriage, he still speaks about in the Garden of Eden, and actually the Bible ends with a marriage feast, and Jesus' first miracle is in marriage, so marriage is amazing, and it's a high value of mine, but actually what people don't do is they don't think, well, it's going to cost me something. Monique and I, when we first got together, I remember literally saying this to her once, I said, yeah, babe, we are so amazing, you and I, we get on so well, like we'd have to work hard to mess our marriage up. 19, 20 years later, I realized, geez, I'm working really hard at that. (laughs) We've got an amazing marriage. But I've realized, actually, it costs her and it costs me. What does it cost you? It costs you stop thinking about your damn self all the time. Stop thinking about how does this person serve me and how she's falling short or not. It should be like, okay, how can I be the spouse that she needs? And I definitely don't get it right all the time, according to her. And I'm joking. I do. (laughs) Just joking, you know? I spoke a bit about this a few weeks ago at the rock, and she wasn't in the room. Everyone says, you're very brave while she's not in the room, dude. But I just want to encourage us this morning around the thing of marriage. It is the greatest gift you can have. It really is. It's not a blessing only to you. It's a blessing to the world. Because you see, the, the marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. When they look at our marriages, the world looks at us and there's hope. And yes, marriages are tough, and people have fallen and we've made mistakes and there's been divorce and all those things and this is not to make you feel guilty in any way because remember I said it's not about the journey it's about the finishing if you want to finish strong you know there's a great quote by that that guy I think it's Nick Wojcik no I don't put his name wrong the, the guy that's got no arms and legs and he says it's not how many times you fall down that matters it's how many times you get up and so I want to encourage us this morning as the church in the area of marriage to say Lord God let me be the spouse you called me to be the one that my partner deserves. I've been praying lately for, for my marriage and for my wife. Saying, God, I want to stand before you one day, when, when I, when, and, and I'll be there a long time before money gets there. But when she finally gets to heaven, I'm going to be like, Lord, thank you for this gift. And I want to say, well done, Mark. You loved her. You served her. 
You made mistakes, but your heart was to represent Jesus. You see, when you teach about marriage, one of the things people miss, it says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He laid his life down for her. And so for me to finish strong in marriage, one of the keys for this is I have to fix my eyes on Jesus. I want to fix my eyes on him. The second area which I felt God wanted to challenge us this morning around is parenting. Two humans can make a child. But it takes two very committed people to make a human grow into a valuable contributor to society. To bring up children, one of the things I think is you have to have a lot of understanding of God's grace for you. Because you can put stuff on them that you couldn't even do yourself. It's amazing how sometimes I think I, I ask him to do stuff that I'm thinking, well, am I doing it? John shared a story earlier with me with, well, before you tell people to do it, make sure you do it yourself. Because remember the thing, people only get what you have, not what you say you have. And I think for parents this morning, one of the encouragements is, is hold the line. Don't back down. I think, and my children are in the room, so they're probably going like, to be whinging on the way home. But one of the things I've realized is actually, at the end of the day, I read a book a couple of years ago by Brene Brown, and it says that children actually do want parents that are strict. She went to universities, and they, they were talking about strict parenting. And the, and, and, and the, the kids were in, the, in the varsity were all talking, and they were saying, yo, my dad was stricter than your dad, and my dad was this, and my mom, oh, we, you know, we couldn't even, we couldn't even, I mean, then, whatever, we couldn't even have a phone, or we couldn't, well, my parents are so strict, and they're all bragging about how strict their parents were. And in the corner of the room, there was this little group of kids, very quiet, just very quiet, saying nothing. And they went up to this group and said, um, why are you not contributing to the conversation? And they said, because actually our parents weren't strict, they actually didn't care. They didn't care about us. They just let us do whatever we want. And actually, they felt quite broken about it. I thought, well, maybe that is isolated to that specific university. And they traveled around to a few others, and it was a consistent theme. You know, that scripture says, um, children, you know, obey your parents, and fathers do not exasperate your children. So it's a scripture I stay with a lot in my mind. I say, God, I don't want to exasperate my children. I want to lead them and love them, and I want to hold the line so that they feel secure. I want to teach them how to stand firm. Because I've realized that actually our deepest desire, your deepest desire and my deepest desire is not necessarily your strongest desire. So most of us, I would say everyone in this probably, in this room, has a deep desire to know Jesus. That's why you've come here, whether you're a servant of Jesus or a believer or on a journey of faith or trying to figure out there's a deep desire in you to want to know Jesus. There's a deep desire in you to want to be a good person. There's a deep desire for you to be all these things I'm saying, but actually sometimes our strongest desires override them. And in order to get to our deepest desires, and that's where I want to get to these notes of it, is we actually have to go to two things which I think help us grow in this idea of finishing strong. And one of them is Christian community. It's understanding that God has placed us in a family Place you here. You know, Monique and I often talk about God's put us in a home. This home is called Anthem. And the home that we part of is the rock. We do things very similarly but very differently. Otherwise, we'd all just be in one big hall. There's things that God has called Anthem to do that we can't do. And there's things that you guys are called to do as a family, which the rock can't do. But when we link arms, and I think it was in Kelly's prayer, like when we pull down the walls, what does that mean? We just get one massive big facility. No, God has called us to be different homes in the city. And as we link arms and we pull down the walls, actually we can reach the city with the love and grace of Jesus. And I've realized this in my journey with the Lord, that there were times in my life 
where my relationship with Jesus kept me in community because people were driving me crazy. They were just, community was hard. There's times, there's times where community is hard. You think, oh, yeah, I don't know if I fit here, you know. Let me go and try the guy up the road. Well, in, in, in a few months' time, that same thing frustrating is going to frustrate you because you're there. <laughs> So there's times where, you, where, where Jesus says, Mark, I want you to stay in this community. And there's times when I've had this where the community has kept me in relationship with Jesus because I'm struggling with Jesus. It's like, Lord, this is not making sense. Why is this happening? So we need the two things. We need the community and we need Jesus to finish strong. This is making sense. get to where I am in my notes. Most of that I'll try to do it on my head. You see, because we, we want to finish strong and we want to hold the line, and, and we've seen, I've, I've explained to you, these areas of um, parenting and marriage is, is an area where we want to do well in, because that's where the world is looking. And Jesus has given us everything we need. It's not like it's not a riddle we've got to figure out. It's actually a line we've just got to hold. So the Word teaches us, you see, God does things so differently to us. I'll look at this through my notes quickly. Um, this is what the word says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, to be blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Okay, so he chose us before the foundation of the earth. So God, before he created, he, he, he did a calculation. You know, Jesus, I, I mentioned that scripture earlier. He says, calculate before you build the house to make sure you can finish it. God did that. He calculated and he said, actually, I am going to build this incredible house called the Celia's family before the foundation of the earth to be my children. You can put your name in there. And it says, in Christ, he predestined us by his pleasure and his will. So you're not a random mistake this morning. When I say finishing strong, make sure you break the line. I'm not asking you to do something that God hasn't equipped you and will equip you to actually do. He's not asking you to do something that he's unable to do. He's called you to do something you are very able to do. You see, it says in Isaiah 46 verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I love the game. I'll keep picking on, on Kelly's prayer. It was such a powerful prayer. I am of the persuasion that God is large and he's in charge. He is not confused. He's not insecure. He actually knows exactly what he is doing. Completely. Even in the chaos of our government and the chaos of all the poo in the surf, all that stuff, he knows about the neighborhood, watch problems. He knows about all that stuff. And actually, you know what? He's large and in charge. He's not, he's not insecure at all. He's not like, hey, what am I going to do with Durban? I mean, floods. We've had floods. We've had looting. We've had shooting or polluting. What next? No, he's actually got us in the palm of his hand. Because what he's trying to do in, in us is produce strength. And perseverance. See, God understood it and he counted the cost. Because we are his bride. Spoke about marriage. You are his bride. And we are his children. So I look at Jesus for a moment. And here's that quote from, here's a great quote from a, a German monk, a German nun that lived just during the Second World War. She says, do not be lazy. Run each day's race with all your might. So that at the end you may receive the victory wreath from God. Keep on running, even when you have had a fall. The victory wreath is won by him who does not stay down, but always gets up, grasps the banner of faith, and keeps running in the assurance that Jesus is the victor. 
See, he is the, he is the person. He has one. So the motivation of Jesus, I want to see how Jesus finished strong. And then I'm going to look at, at our life. How, how far are we here, Jonah? I didn't even measure them. See, so, so Jesus, being our, our picture of finishing strong, it says that Jesus only did that which the Father told him to do. He understood his race. Um, he, came onto, he came to the earth to do the will of the Father, and that was to finish the work of the cross. Set his eyes, the Bible said he set his face like flint for Jerusalem because he knew that he had to get to Jerusalem. What did he have to do in Jerusalem? He had to die. Every step of Jesus' journey on the earth, he was resolved to finish the race. Every miracle, every prayer, everything he did was to do the will of the Father. And that's how we, when we understand that, God, you've got a will for my life. So I said, he knows the end from the beginning. He does what he pleases in and through us. Same with Jesus. The, 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 the price for Jesus was a death on the cross. But to endure the scorning, you can read it in, in Isaiah, you can read in the scriptures, the, the rejection, the betrayal, the death, the brutal death. I've done a bit of studying through my studying around history. And, and, the, and you, you watch the crucifixion. If you watch Mel Gibson's one, you probably, that's an old one. But if you watch that, it looks pretty brutal. It was worse than that. Way worse than that. The death of Jesus was brutal and terrible. But he endured that. Why? The prize was you and I. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So what we're going through this life is not a massive endurance race compared to what Jesus has been through. And he is the one that is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the model for us. So when I say, guys, we want to do better in our marriages, we want to do better as parents, we want to do better as friends, we want to do better as followers of Jesus, we're saying just follow him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, everywhere he walked, he was scorned eventually, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was misjudged, he was mistreated, he was falsely accused, he was beaten beyond recognition, and he literally died of a broken heart. That was the price. The prize was, I want to read the prize. Was to desire, well, his, his prize was to fulfill the will of his Father and for all those that put their faith in him to have eternal life, to be with him in heaven. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. On the cross, when Jesus, his last words he breathes out is, it is finished. So I want to finish. It is finished. I love that. It is finished. What is finished? The work that you have called me to do. What is that? With his blood, purchase you and I for the Father. So our job is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Just think about that. I mean, I often think about this. Imagine we get to heaven one day. When we get to heaven, not if. If if your faith is in Jesus. And you see your loved ones that have gone. Again, that great moment in the movie when Josh and I are watching Gladiator last night when his friend says to him, you know, you're going to see your, your son and your wife one day, but not yet. Still got stuff to do on this earth. But the day will come when we will stand in glory with God forever and be with those that we love and those that have gone before us. And they're cheering us on even now. My understanding of theology, those that have gone, those that have passed away can actually see what's going on now. 
It says that there's a great cloud of witnesses watching. Not just Moses and Aaron. It's actually your family members and those that have gone before us. They're watching and they're cheering us on. They're saying, run with perseverance the race. Don't hold back. There's no time to hold back. Bill Johnson does an incredible preach recently. If you've listened to much of his stuff, when his wife, Benny, passed away a few months ago, I think three days after she passed away, he got up and spoke. And he said, I've, I, I've learned the privilege of going through suffering now that in heaven we will never have to. I don't want to waste this moment. I don't want to waste this moment of walking through the, the refiner's fire in my life, what I'm going through right now, fixing my eyes on Jesus, otherwise it's too overwhelming. Staying in community with brothers and sisters, saying I'm going to take one step at a time. One step at a time, holding the, the skull before me because I hold my death before me. God, one day that's coming for me. But when it comes, I want to say, God, I've given myself to everything that you've called me to. Because you are the, the finisher of our faith. Not only are you the author, but you're the finisher. A little bit further and I'm done. So maybe today you feel like you're in a place where like, yes, I've started so many things, but I'm just, I don't think I'm a finisher. Sometimes I feel like it with some of the stuff that we do at The Rock. We start great stuff and then kind of fizzles. Like I, don't, I, don't want, I want to break that thing off. You see, what the enemy does is he lies. A liar from the beginning. He's the father of all lies. I wish money could come up here just now and do this thing we're doing at the rock at the moment with the lion jar. Got this jar, they put a lion on top of it and they sit with the little kids during kids' ministry and they come in there and they tell Monique all the lies they're hearing at school about who they are. And Monique says, okay, take their lie and we put it in the lion jar and there's a lion on top. And the lion of Judah roars over those lies and breathes the truth over you. Like you are a finisher. Why you are a finisher? Because Jesus says you are. Like he's called you to finish the race. Peter out, you want to cross the line. So if you're that person and you've fallen in marriage or you've whatever, actually today's the day. God, we start again. So God, I mean, that's what I love about the Lord. He's the God of the second, third, fourth, fifth opportunities because it's not done until it's done. We've got a saying we use at the rock often. If it's not good, it's not done. Anywhere in your life, wherever you are, keep your eyes on Jesus. Say, Lord, I want to finish that thing. We're going to throw off everything that hinders. That's the frustrating thing. Those little sins, like a stone in your shoe, a friend of mine told me. Got to get that thing out. The church is so scared lately to speak about sin. Like, no, stop using, what's the English word, euphemisms. I'm like, you're not a white, lying, no, you're sinning. <laughs> you sin. But Jesus comes to take away our sin. See, the brutality of the cross was actually so that our sin could be separated from us and God would remember it no more. So for, for those that are in Christ Jesus are, are free. They're, they're, there's no condemnation for us. So we've got to bring our stuff before God and say, God, this thing is holding me back from running the race. Whatever it is, God, I bring it into the light. I'm going to take it out because actually I want to run with perseverance. You see, the enemy comes in three ways. The enemy, the devil, the world, the world system, and your flesh. Your, worldly, your, godly, your ungodly, unordered desires. So the devil comes, puts a thought in your head, a lie, lands inside of you, your flesh rises up, grabs hold of it, and the world says, no, that's pretty normal. Everyone's doing it. Well, not everyone should be doing it. I'm getting a bit like hectic here. I want to throw off that stuff and say, God, remove it, wash it away. What can wash away? All my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. He washes you clean. This is, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying as, as believers, we should be able to run free of those things. From whom the Son sets free is free indeed. 
But if you're holding that thing in your heart and thinking the enemy's got you trapped, bring it into the light. Let that thing get washed away that you can run with perseverance. Take that thing off. And I end with this. Being confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So as you sit here this morning, I don't know where John wants to go. Why don't we stand for a moment? Can we stand, John?